A Gay and a Non-Gay is a podcast from James Barr and Dan Hudson. They're like a lovely little couple, except they're not. We're back in London. Where hey. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. I think you might have to help me get on stage, though. Oh, my God, I'm so bored of this hobbling. <laughs> oh, my God. Just knock it on my head. Dan, I can't walk. <laughs> what happened again? It's Edinburgh. It's just Edinburgh, like... It was hard. Was it a bloke? <laughs> Sorry? Why would you... Why is that your go-to thought? Was it a bloke? No! Well, how would a bloke do that to me? Well, because you're into all sorts of weird shit. <laughs> no, I'm not. Anyway, can you just focus on what you're here to do? Yes. Your mum. <laughs> Fine. You really want to know what I did in Edinburgh? Your dad. Ladies and gentlemen, gays, non-gays, and everyone in between... Welcome to a gay and a non-gay live. Welcome to a gay and a non-gay. Hello London, how are you tonight? It's the London Podcast Festival and it's a Saturday night. Yes. <laughs> We've got a really amazing show for you tonight, London. Uh, coming up, the award-winning author, activist, journalist and all-round daddy, Matthew Todd. <laughs> I was supposed to introduce Matthew because I'm not going to be able to say this bit, so you do this Why? Bit. Because it's not really my vernacular, so you no, say No, you it. say it. <laughs> you say it. Okay. <laughs> the fa- the, 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 and? The fabulous... Uh, drag queen Shay Shay. Woo! Why is that not in your vernacular? Because I wouldn't say fabulous, would I? We've discussed this before. Oh, okay, right, your point. Sorry, we'll reword it however you choose. <laughs> Use a non-gay one. Well, I, I would just say the amazing drag queen. Okay. I guess, but... Are you sure you wouldn't say something more masculine and like, hetero? Wh- like what? Well, hey, it's Shay Shay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that does work. Uh, <laughs> so Dan and I have had a really busy week this week. We're kind of in um, full promo mode at the moment. I feel a bit like Lady Gaga doing that whole tour she did for A Star Is Born. Because um, we've been popping up all over the place uh, promoting this documentary that we've just recorded with BBC Sounds. It's actually for BBC Radio 1 and BBC Sounds. We've had about 10 meetings about it. <laughs> about, about the wording of it. <laughs> <laughs> We've done this documentary for BBC Radio 1 and One Extra's Tell It podcast series available on BBC Sounds. Uh, so we went to Belfast, Northern Ireland to... Oh, oh. are you from Belfast? <laughs> <laughs> too afraid to admit it. <laughs> uh, yeah, we went to Belfast um, in Northern Ireland to investigate gay conversion therapy. And it is happening all over the UK and the world, and it's awful. Um, but a lot of listeners have been in touch saying that things in Northern Ireland were a lot harder. So we turned up at this guy's house called Mike uh, Davidson, and uh, this is what happened when we met him. Hi, Hi Dan. Dan. How you doing? I'm James, and that's Dan. Hi, Dan. Hi. Come in. Thank you for coming. So this is where we usually do the work. That's where the magic happens. <laughs> um, Mike used to be gay, used to have homosexual feelings, and he believes that um, it's brought on by lots of different things, including things like past trauma. Anyway, after finishing this very traumatic interview, and we did give it to him, and I'd love you to listen to the series, Dan and I just found the whole thing so traumatic that we couldn't stop yeah. laughing. No, someone just laughed then when you said, we gave it to him. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't pick up on that. Also, someone laughed when he said, uh, come on in. Yeah, I... <laughs> <laughs> So this is what happened afterwards. I'm so sorry. Our producer's just looking at us like, what are you doing? It's just, stop it. <laughs> stop it. Dan and I aren't feeling very serious right now because... <laughs> <laughs> I don't really yeah. still... I still don't really know why we found it so funny because obviously it's not funny. No. 
But I think when something is that traumatic, it's kind of hard to just deal with your emotions. So yeah. we both just fell off a cliff, basically. Yeah. Um, as I said, please do listen to it. But yeah, we've been we've been talking about it a lot. Um, spoiler alert: gay conversion therapy does not work. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so first up, we went on the BBC Asian Network, and I was quite yeah. worried about you while we were doing that. My main concern was that recently on the podcast, you've said that you coined the term Gaysian. Yeah. <laughs> so I was... Well, I don't, I, I don't think I coined it. I definitely helped spread it. <laughs> I definitely did. I know it sounds weird, to, but I did. I, nobody had ever... Nobody in the in this West Midlands area had, had heard it until I, <laughs> until I came up with it. What year was this? I don't know. So you sp I was worried you might refer to it as the BBC Gaysian Network no, at no, some no. point, or, or let them know at some point <laughs> that you, you, know, you came up with it. Well, I mean, I wanted to, obviously. Use but... your platform. Yeah, it's not the only thing that I don't get the credit for, but um, I've got to let, let a lot of them slide, you know What's what I mean? the other thing? I, basi I, I really popularised, you know, um, wearing lanyards with keys around them. <laughs> I don't... You popularised that? Yeah, I really helped spread it, because people weren't really doing it in um, the, the West Midlands area. <laughs> and I right. started doing it, and then everyone else followed. Yeah, wow. I don't get the credit for that either, do I? No, tell everyone what happened with um, the Naz and Matt Foundation. Um, Right, so the, the Nazem Matt Foundation is this amazing uh, organisation that does... Uh, James, it's not funny. No, it, does, uh, it <laughs> is funny, because Dan met Matt from the Naz and Matt Foundation, and you said to him... Uh, he said, um, oh, just so you know, it's the Naz and Matt Foundation, not the Matt and Naz Foundation. And I said, why are you, why are you the number two? <laughs> I think we can all guess why yeah. Naz's name is first. So what do they actually do? What does the charity do? Because when I asked you on the train, you just said, oh, they, you know, they do yada, yada, yada. <laughs> well, they provide support for people who've, who are LGBT and going through stuff and have lost people because they're LGBT and they can't come out and they're having difficulties because of it. Stop trying to ask me questions to trick me up and say something stupid. No, just ready that is me. what they do. I'm ready for you to say yada, <laughs> yada, 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 yada. Um, no, they do like amazing work and he was amazing to listen to. Okay. Yeah. There's no punchline to this, but it's just, it just was. No, it's just funny. Um, yeah. we, we also went on BBC Radio Leeds, and um, yeah. is, what is it you do for a living, Dan? You work at Radio 1, mm. and you are a just producer. Make, make radio, yeah. Right, but one of the things <laughs> that you can't seem to be able to do is use a microphone, <laughs> which I find ridiculous. Dan is such a loud, you're such a loud person, aren't you? I guess so, yeah. Like, whenever you speak on a train or whatever. In fact, yesterday you woke me up on the train. I had a nap. We were going to Manchester and I had a nap. And Dan just woke me up by going, yo, in my ear. Well, it worked, didn't it? Yeah, but it was what awful. So this is Dan uh, not knowing how to use a microphone on BBC Radio Leeds. Dan is now with us. Hi, Dan. How are you? Hi. How are you doing? What is an ally? Is it just about understanding? Is it about behaviour? Um, I don't really know. So Dan got cut from that interview. Yeah, but, yeah the, the producer was like, can we phone you instead? <laughs> all, do you know what it is? There's all different kinds of microphones, guys, and it's really hard. It's, it's difficult to know which one you're in front of at any given point. Don't feel sorry for him. <laughs> Don't start that hashtag poor Dan, hashtag trend again. Then we went on BBC Breakfast today. Well, hey. Um, which was really scary because we'd never done anything, like, so real. And that's quite a lot of pressure, isn't it? Yeah. Like, we'd done interviews other places, but nothing that was on the scale of that. Yeah. Um, 
So we have a clip of Dan and I on BBC Breakfast from this morning, which we'd love to play you, if that's OK. Does it turn out that you do have quite a lot in common? Oh, no, we've got nothing in common. <laughs> <laughs> but we do have, like, very similar views. Um, and we've learned through, despite having nothing in common, you know, you can still be friends with someone. Yeah, that's the, th the key thing, isn't it? It doesn't matter where you are, what background you're from, what your sexuality is, whatever else. We're yeah. all, we're all we're the same. Oh. <sighs> oh, thank you. Thanks. <laughs> And then we had some tweets. <laughs> <laughs> Including this guy. Breaking news, gay men can be friends with heterosexual guys. <laughs> Who knew? Yeah. Who knew? I, I still <laughs> believe that to be quite a privileged place to be in, to say something like that. Because so, I know so many people that don't live in London that don't have... Like, that, that would never dream of being friends with a straight guy because it's kind of difficult because a lot of straight men would be worried about hanging out with gay friends. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't have anything to add. <laughs> cool. <laughs> <laughs> Danny wrote... <laughs> Danny, uh, Dan, this is Danny Dogger. Uh, did, did, did a bit of research on him. I couldn't tell whether it, that's what he's into or whether that's his surname. Um, but either way, he, he's been on and he says, uh, we are all the same, <laughs> question mark. No, I don't want to shag blokes up the arse. The female form is beautiful enough for me, Tar. Uh, the, na the natural behaviour... Not the same pal uh, with an incorrect um, capitalisation. Hashtag BBC Breakfast. Thanks for that, Danny. Three likes, though. Why are homophobic people obsessed with doing blokes at the arse? I mean, I, mean, you, I, mean you're, I don't know, you're not homophobic, obviously, but you're closer to that world than I am, so you tell me. <laughs> the thing but is... That's like, we, not the same, I mean, it? we saw this week, didn't we, that a gay conversion therapist came out and said, actually, I'm gay and this doesn't work yeah. like, in America, which is obviously going to happen. And, and the thing is, most of the time, it seems that homophobia comes from a place of... Um, and actually, this is a true fact, according to the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology there's a higher level of homophobia in people who have an unacknowledged feeling of same-sex attraction. That's a 2012 study that came out. So it's kind of that, isn't it? Maybe this guy's actually gay. Mm. See you on the dogging uh, park. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It's interesting because we did, we did find that stat out whilst we were making our documentary. And ever, ever since finding that out, every time I've sort of seen any sort of homophobia, I've thought, oh, they're gay. I never thought that before. I just thought they were twats. Yeah. Now, I, now I'm just like, oh, yeah, they're gay and they can't admit it. Do you, do you, what do you think when you... No, same. I actually was kissing a guy the other day um, and this woman came over and she was like, my child is here, so if you, whatever you do in your personal time is your choice, but please don't do that in front of my child. Yeah. Is that because it was a bloke or because it's just a PSA? Uh, how would you know? PSA? But she was very angry. And my, PDA. She was very angry and my immediate thought was... I wonder if she's caught her husband watching gay porn. Yeah. <laughs> or like, I wonder if she's actually secretly bisexual or lesbian and hasn't acknowledged that. But you, you never know, but you have to kind of just ignore these people, right, and not give them any airtime. Um, this guy said, is there any evidence that you can be born gay? That's Johnny. Uh, and yes, Johnny, there is. A lot of evidence, in fact. If you, uh, if you read chapter two, sorry, track two, verse seven, I'm beautiful in my way, because God makes no mistakes. I'm on the right track, baby. I was born this way. A gay and a non-gay. Right, are you ready for things Dan can't say? Yes! yes. Woo. This is a bit of the podcast where we allow Dan to say whatever he wants, because you know what? Like, straight white men just don't get enough free airtime anymore. <laughs> and I think it's only fair that we just... We give them a bit of a moment to just be free to say whatever they want to say. Um, so no one is allowed to be offended. Is that OK with everyone? 
Yeah, no, I didn't feel like you really meant that. <laughs> it's things Dan can't say. Things that Dan cannot say. Things that Dan cannot say. I'm on the wrong track, baby. Things that Dan cannot say. Things that Dan cannot say. Things that Dan cannot say. He's on the wrong track, baby. Things that Dan cannot say. Over to you, Dan. No one can be offended. Why can't gay people clean their own houses? Why do they always have cleaners? <laughs> <laughs> Um, does anyone else want to help me out with that one? My friend is gay and he does a brilliant job of cleaning. Oh. oh. Wow, we've got one gay that cleans in the room. Any other gays that like to clean? Any other right. one? Just one here? Oh my god, that's it. Two gays <laughs> that clean. Where are the gays that don't clean? Yeah, that's the whole room. <laughs> and why don't we clean? Boring. Yeah, exactly. We're busy, it's boring, and... To be fair, we're above it. Yeah. That's things Dan can't say. <laughs> things that Dan cannot say. Things that Dan cannot say. I'm on the wrong track, baby. Things that Dan cannot say. Things that Dan cannot say. Things that Dan cannot say. He's on the wrong track, baby. Things that Dan cannot say. Woo! Thanks so much, everyone. Are you ready? Oh, what? Do I sound... My friend from Birmingham was down a couple of days ago, and I just feel like I sound so brummy. Come on. Is that just in my head? I don't know. I haven't noticed that. Okay, cool. I spent a lot of time with you over the last week. I didn't feel like you were especially brummy. Okay, cool. All right, not to worry. What's a really brummy thing to say? You're right. (laughs) Why don't you say that to our first guest? Uh, Okay, cool. (laughs) Um, Yeah, let's welcome... He's the former Atta... Atta? You might want to start that again for the edit. All right. Um, he- oh, shut up! <laughs> um, he's the former editor of Attitude magazine and he's written an amazing book called Straight Jacket. He's got an amazing book coming out or possibly even out now called Pride. Please welcome. Now. It's out now. Should we do that again? He's- yes, thanks, James. He- <laughs> re- I'll just do it. Read what's doing- written. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Please welcome Matthew Todd. Matthew, I'm so happy you're here. I'm really happy to be here. I love this podcast. For ages, Dan has been telling me to read The Velvet Rage. Like, he's been going on about it for years, and I've constantly said to him, I don't need to read that. I've already read Straight Jacket. There we go. Yeah. And And Dan has finally read it. Now, I've just read it um, pretty recently, actually, and I was like, fucking hell, this is amazing. I couldn't put it down. Straight Jacket. Straight Jacket, yeah, yeah. Thanks. That's the difference between a gay and a non-gay, I think, because I could put it down very readily. It took me like a year to finish Mm, it. No, I remember, (laughs) I remember. Yeah, we talked about it a lot, didn't we? Yeah, I kept messaging you saying, I'm sorry, I can't read it right now. Like, I need more time. That's um, quite common, I think. Is it? Yeah, I've got a friend of mine who's actually, he's had it on his his shelf for three years, and he's like, I'm really scared to read it. But, um... It is hardcore. It is hardcore. It's, great. it's upsetting stuff, isn't it? But it's so fantastic, and thank you. There's a lot of there's a lot of um, stuff to relate to. There's a lot of advice in there. I think it's it's really helped me a lot. Matt was actually one of the first people I um, sort of came out to about my mental health problems like a long time ago. We were at like a party by a canal. Yeah, it was lovely. I was very moved that you. Kind of, what did I say? Because I can't really remember. I can't remember. I was so moved, I just completely forgot it. Uh, <laughs> um, no, you were just saying that you'd struggled, and uh, I think you talked a bit about depression, and I think you talked about having like suicidal thoughts, which you've talked about in your shows very what? publicly, and I, which I think is great. But I was uh, well, quite it's not great. But no, no, it's <laughs> no, it's not great. Well, it's great that you talk about yeah. it, but I, I think you know, quite a lot of people come up to me and, and talk to me about those kind of things, and um, it's always a surprise 
because I didn't have any idea. And kind of that's been my experience with the book that loads of people say to me, oh, it's really helped me or it's changed my life or whatever. And it's like reading my life in like reading inside my head. And that's always really ama such a humbling thing, but it's also really sad and painful that so many of us have been through that experience. But I was really touched that you opened up to me. So if it's that. a hard read, was it a hard write? Presumably it was. Yeah. Horrific. Yeah, it was horrible. I, I, I'd actually stopped drinking uh, for about a year and a half and because um, that's a big um, problem for me. I'm a recovering alcoholic, which always sounds really, really dramatic. It's not that dramatic in my life now, but I'd stopped drinking for a year and a half. And then when I literally, I think the week I got the book deal, I started drinking again because I was just like, oh my God, I've got to write the bloody thing now. And it, it was just, it was so hard. And there were, you know, the, the, the whole drugs thing in London, which was far bigger than I knew when I first started writing about it. That was coming up and there were people that started to die. And I was thinking, oh Jesus, I've got to get this out. I've got to get this out. You know, to people kept saying to me, you know, hurry up and get the damn thing done. And also I was really scared about what the reaction would be. Some people were saying, oh, you can't really talk about this stuff because it's really controversial and people will be offended and upset. But I've never had that. You know, the reaction has been really, really positive, but it was it was really hard. Yeah, it was really hard to write it. The book kind of begins with the past, which I think is really interesting. And one of the things that I just found so upsetting was because I didn't really realise that this stuff was being said, I guess because I was too young. Um, but it made me realise very clearly that I live in a sort of hangover from this time. And I think it's an MP that said in the 80s something similar to the best way to stop HIV and AIDS is by gassing gay people. Yeah, I mean, there's so many of those kind of quotes. It's really interesting. Just a couple of weeks ago, I'm sure people will, will have seen it on Facebook and Twitter. Someone had tweeted they'd kept the cutting from 1993 when... Uh, yeah. The Daily Mail had said something like gay, gay, was it gay cure hope or gay abortion hope or something that there was some discussion that there may be a gay gene and that meant that the hope was some mothers could possibly abort fetuses that were gay. And uh, I, I remember reading that, but that just wasn't that shocking at the time because it was just so much of it. In the 80s, there was a, a really horrendous one, which I've got at home, a, a cartoon in The Sun, which, which I talk about in the book, where it's a long, complicated story, but a celebrity's son had come out and they'd reported it and he'd said that it was fine that his son was gay, which I hadn't actually seen. I remember seeing the next day in The Sun that they, they, um, they published this, this cartoon. It was a cartoon. It wasn't even like a serious thing. It was like this jokey thing. But this 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 guy, the cartoon of a guy hanging his son from a lamppost with a noose, with like you know his eyes bulging, his tongue tongue bulging out. And a friend of his looking up, saying, "See, I told you, your dad wouldn't take it so well, Rodney." It was just this constant messaging in the media that you shouldn't be here. You should be dead. That's what we were kind of told. And I think my generation in particular growing up in the 80s being a teenager in the 80s was particularly hit by that because we just didn't have the support if we'd been a bit older we would have had the community as it was to get some help from but we didn't so I was completely isolated reading that stuff hearing TV saying this kind of you know it's not okay even the Guardian at one point there was an article that the Guardian wrote about AIDS which was people were really offended by I've never actually read it I couldn't find it but I read about it you know it was it was an onslaught from from everyone so it was really really a really hard time and and we live with that which is why I wrote the other one actually Pride which is about the history because I was so surprised when I was promoting Straight Jacket the young people would say to me oh my god I had no idea it was that bad in the 80s and to me, it was, it's very fresh, you know, it just feels like yesterday. So I wanted to write a bit more about the history. I think in a way, though, it's still very much the case now <laughs> in certain places. It's not everyone in Northern Ireland that speaks against gay people, but religion is, is very prevalent in, in Northern Ireland. And we, we constantly hear things from the DUP that say very similar stuff to 
what we've just been discussing. I think yeah, the like Prime Minister blamed Hurricane Katrina on gay people. Or yeah, something. all that kind of stuff. And, and it was UKIP as well, wasn't it? They were saying that like, yeah. storms, blame. hurricanes, if only. Yeah. I wish we could, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's a few people I could send a hurricane to. Belfast Primark burnt down because they had Belfast Pride. And they put some flags up. There's a joke, there's a joke in there somewhere, isn't there? Do you know what I mean? Um, probably, probably true. We did it. Uh, yeah, I mean, that UKIP thing, it was just like shocking. But I think the great thing now is that you've got the internet and you've got Twitter. So when those things happen, you see a lot of people going, that's not okay. Yeah. Whereas at the time, I just was like, oh, yeah, I mean, everyone thinks this. I should be dead. And so I wanted to be dead. I just thought... Right, that's the thing. And that's what Straight Jacket explores. It kind of explores growing up in a world that is effectively a straight jacket because everything around you is built for straight people and you don't... Think. Yeah, a world that just presumes that you are heterosexual, cisgendered, and that's that. And, you know, you're just stuck into it. And we really have to fight to come out and to, you know, claim some space and a life for ourselves. And it's hard. And, you know, I think when I wrote it, I was struggling. I'd been at Attitude for like 15, 20 years or something and lots of other people I'd seen were struggling. Lots of people I came out with were struggling. Lots of people I'd seen on the gay scene were struggling and yet no one ever talked about it. You weren't allowed to say it. You weren't ever allowed to say, oh God, there's, there's, a, there's a problem here. I mean, so many people I knew over the years when I was at first at Attitude had killed themselves and when I went on a date with like two or three years later and I went on one date with him and it wasn't like, you know, I bummed him out. No, you know, he, I went on a, a date with him and yeah, and I, a few years later I heard he'd killed himself. Somebody else I know went on a, on a date with somebody else. He tried to kill himself. This person killed him. I mean, it was just, it was shocking to me and there was no answers. I talked to therapists. I saw a therapist when I was at university and she said, um, I don't know anything about gay issues. And the end of the, the end of the session, she thanked me for educating her. And I was like 20, I was at university. Same thing happened with, through my GP. That happened to me recently when I recommended your book to my therapist. Well, there's still so many therapists who, who don't know about it. And actually it's been really interesting with promoting the book that quite a lot of mainstream media won't, won't talk, won't have me on, won't have me on to talk about the book because they, they can't handle the idea that we're talking about higher levels of depression, higher levels of anxiety or addiction or whatever. To them, they go, why would that be? That's kind of homophobic. But, you know, they don't, you have to shine the light on our joint experience. And of course, it's not everybody. There's loads of really happy LGBT people, but, you know, disproportionate levels because of what we all go through growing, growing up. And I think a lot of us want to push that away and just forget about it. And that, that's fine. I'm not saying people shouldn't. But for me, it was really tripping me up in my life. It was still causing me problems. That I had to go back and address some of it. I think that's the same for me. I think if I hadn't dealt with it and faced it and read your book and seen a therapist, I think... I, I don't know what would have happened. I, know, I certainly know that I had a difficult time before that with alcohol and, and drugs and stuff and just sleeping around with loads of different people constantly. So I think your book and other work that I've done has helped me move beyond that. And yeah, oh my God, what am I saying? Oh, <laughs> I thanks. Mean, well, no, it's amazing to see you like, you know, you're doing this and you're doing your comedy. It's amazing. And, 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 and that's an amazing thing. You see so many different people in recovery where I, you know, uh, I was in a really bad place when I had to stop drinking and when the second time when I had to stop drinking and you know I'm a work in progress I'm not perfect and it's not about you can never sleep with anyone you never do this or never drink never anything it, it's just about getting to a place where you're feeling more comfortable and, and it being and, more of a choice yeah and you can understand where some of that stuff comes from and be a bit more in control of it and 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 change for the for the better if you need to so you talk a lot about drugs and the sort mm. of London, I don't know what the, I would term it as, but I guess like the London gay drug scene. It's not just London, there's, I mean, it's, ev it's everywhere. A friend of mine actually who, who you know, said, oh, it's London, I'm going to leave London and went off to Cornwall and bing, tapped into all the people there, 
you know. Oh, is it? Is it oh, it's all, all over the place. The yeah, we're, 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 yeah. I mean, like, of course, straight people use drugs too. But I think when we talk about drugs with, with gay and by men, it's normally like talking about chemsex and methadone and G and all these kind of things. I mean, it is shocking that problem. And it, I mean, how do we talk about it? It's still really sensitive, it's still really painful. And I know a lot of people, I've known people who, someone I used to, I knew years ago who, just was an amazing young activist really really incredible man he died uh from a drugs overdose but it's all been kept hush hush because the family don't want to talk about it because people don't want to say yeah my son died from a drugs overdose you know so it's 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 hard but if we don't talk about it how do we ever address it and that's just i was saying just about that people, people yeah so we can do and I, and I and i and being in recovery it's great because you do see people coming in in a really bad state and then years later you see them you know, just developing their lives in a way maybe they hadn't ever thought they could, be that in a relationship or new jobs or just doing things, you know, fulfilling their dreams and ambitions. And I think a lot of us, certainly when I was drinking, my uh, afternoons at the weekend were like, literally, I remember one time just going home and like, I'm going to buy one small bottle of wine and just drink one and I'll buy five more for next, you know, the next five (laughs) weeks. And obviously I drank the whole lot. And I was rolling around the floor crying, singing Mariah Carey songs. And I don't do that anymore. <laughs> Thank God. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it was a really fucking horrible place to be. That I mean, you don't need anyone to do that, do you? I used to cry to Celine Dion songs whilst eating McDonald's. Isn't that so? <laughs> well, Celine's great. I mean, sometimes you need to, don't you? Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> All the time. Be All a lot the of time. People listening that are going through some of the stuff we talked about, and also in this room, what would what's the best advice on on dealing with this stuff, on facing this stuff? Um, that's a really difficult one. I get uh, people say talk about it, and I think that is really, really important. But but asking for help, so be it through GP or going to like in London, very lucky we've got Antidote and Fifty Sixteen Street. If you've got a, a, a problem with drugs, I mean, it's not for everybody. But twelve step groups, I would really recommend like Alcoholics Anonymous, um, Crystal Meth Addicts Anonymous, Sex Addicts Anonymous. If you feel you have a problem, it's not about people saying you can't do this, you can't do that. It's about if you feel you're not in control of what you're doing or doing something you don't want to do. And I think they're great because they're everywhere. You know, there's, there's LGBT ones, LGBT people are welcome, pretty much all of them. They're all over the country. And it's just about getting yourself into a, into a different space. It's really interesting to me when I wrote the book, there's so many people, like people who go to Vauxhall all the time, was like, well, everyone goes to Vauxhall. That's all everybody does. People who went, who went to like GAY, well, everyone goes to GAY. That's what people do. Everyone takes drugs. Everyone doesn't take drugs. I think people feel their experience often is what everyone does when in fact, it's very diverse and you can have I thought giving up drinking would be like the most boring terrible awful thing and I've, you think oh my god what am I going to do with the time but actually you get to do hobbies and you know like go to my brother's birthday you know actually do things that I would make up lies I would say oh, I can't come because I'm busy with work and actually I was face down in a vodka tonic or 12. <laughs> what do you advise to non-gays? God, I mean, in terms of numbers, far more straight people in recovery and, 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 and also with, with, no, with problems. No, is yeah. Oh, what can I I think just being a friend, just being a friend, just being, just being there for people. Because like, you know, when people have a serious addiction problem, not that that's what everybody has, often telling people, and I can make this mistake, go, you must stop, you must stop, you must stop. That doesn't always help. It makes people feel a bit more ashamed. Just saying, I really love you, I really care about you, I'm here. If you need to talk, you know, I'm worried, but I'm here for you. I think that's that's that. what more can any friend do? Well, on that note, Matt, thanks so much for joining us. Everybody check out Straight Jacket, check out our Pride. Thanks for coming. Thanks, guys. Thank love you.
gay and a non-gay. How's everyone doing? <laughs> that was heavy, but really important. Um, are you ready for us to bring on our next guest? Yeah. Very excited about this one. Uh, please welcome the fabulous non-binary drag queen of brunch and more. Please welcome Shay Shay. Thanks, everyone. Welcome to again and non-gay at the London Podcast Festival 2019. Thank you so much for having me. Can I get a hey hey Shay Shay? Hey. hey. How do you feel about Wahey, Shay Shay? You know, it's a little straighter than I'm used to, but I ap- I appreciate the enthusiasm. I'll okay, take it. I'll take it. People too in the room. So do we? Straight version. If you're straight, you. Oh no! Please hey, don't. Don't. That would be a hate crime. Please don't do it. So you're actually our first drag queen guest. Oh my god! Thank you so much for having me. Um, usually, whenever I'm on a podcast that's like drag related, you're not usually in drag because there's not usually a room of people. And you get to make up what you're wearing. You're like, oh, I'm in a beautiful sequin gown, and my hair touches the ceiling, and I'm laying on a chaise lounge. And but I actually am in full drag at the moment. All of you listeners, I look like um, a half Vietnamese, half French schoolgirl on foreign exchange that found herself in Studio 54. Thank you very much. <laughs> Non-gay can't handle it. No. I'm just letting him go right now. I'm just taking a back seat. James is obsessed with the idea that I don't... I'm not au fait with drag. You're obsessed with that. That's basically why you've invited... Go for it. Ask a question. Mm, Hit me. Here's the thing. Give me the thing. I don't don't know what... I don't know. I don't know what good drag is and what bad drag is. Mm. In the same way, I don't know what good rugby or bad rugby is. Do you know what I mean? I just don't. Sure. But do you like rugby? No, I hate it. Okay. Me too! (laughs) I I really hate rugby. Okay, cool. Um, I'm I'm indifferent to drag, to be honest, but... (laughs) The shade! But that's yeah. not shape. Like, no, no, like, it's just the tea. Something I do really like is heavy rock and metal. <laughs> and like, you wouldn't be able I to might, go, I could get into point it. a metal band and go, that's good metal band and that's bad metal band. You would just say I'm indifferent. True, true. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so, so is the goal for me to tell you what good and bad drag is? I mean, do I need to spell great. it out? That would be amazing. Okay. The thing is... That is completely subjective because drag is an art form. And good art and bad art depends on the viewer um, and also the maker. Um, Drag can be used in so many different ways that for some people, throwing on a little bit of blush and maybe a fake eyelash, maybe if you're feeling crazy, a wig or a heel, all these things are optional, a dress. Any of those can be such a freeing um, experience of self-expression and getting to dip into a side, uh, getting to play with gender in ways... Uh, so far, we've only I've only mentioned um, like drag as a female presenting thing, but there's also drag kings, and there's also a lot of drag performers that are becoming aliens and beyond beyond the human form. And it's um, not only just like a way to explore yourself and present yourself; um, it also as I mentioned, is an art form in in a visual sense and also a performance sense. Um, And in itself being something that toys with gender, either switches it around or breaks it apart and repiles it or completely throws it out the window and it creates something new, drag is political in its like core sense. So there's a million reasons why one would be into drag or be appreciative of drag. It also can be vastly entertaining, which I'm doing right now. You're welcome. (laughs) 
You're welcome. Um, does that explain it? Yeah, no, I, I, I've always loved the fact that it, it's just a massive, like, fuck you to sort of mainstream, mm -hmm. core society. I really like that. Very punk rock. Th that is totally where its core comes from. And there is so much drag um, around the world and in England that is very punk and against the mainstream and exists in basements and clubs and stuff. But I'm sure you've all noticed that drag is drastically becoming part of the mainstream. You'll see drag queens in advertisements. You may see me in a movie coming up. No, you won't. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> but you do see drag queens in movies and you see drag queens in campaigns for washing detergent. And there's also going to be a very large program coming on British television in the next few weeks called RuPaul's Drag Race UK. Um, okay. You're not a fan. That's a feeling about it. Um, <laughs> But as drag uh, more and more becomes part of the mainstream, it also has to sacrifice so many of the things that it initially stood for. Um, to be sold off to the masses, so many things about it have to be shaved down. Uh, the package of drag that is presented by RuPaul's Drag Race is men dressed as women exclusively. And it, there is such an amazing world beyond those things. I work in nightlife full time. I do drag all the time. I'm out all the time. And men dressing up as drag is a large part of the scene, but it is also represents the most boring part of the scene. The non-binary people, the trans people doing drag, where it is not just like a hobby on the side. It is your identity. It's your expression. There are so many trans people that perform the gender that they are aspiring to be, and that is part of their journey to transition. Those people are creating work that in, uh, talks about their identity, deals with mental health issues, and those are the performers that you are wowed by the end. Um, yes, a drag queen turning up, doing a split, and dropping to the ground, that's going to wow you as well. But the drag, the drag performers that are the most inspiring to me are the ones that exist in the marginalized identities within the LGBTIQ community specifically queer people of color, trans people, non-binary people like myself, ones that are using drag because it is the outlet that allows you to be you, as opposed to just, oh, it's fun, isn't it? Which is totally legitimate. That is amazing. But unfortunately, Drag Race, the program, only rewards a very specific type of drag, men dressing up as women and a very specific dressing up as women very expensive spending money drag on a dime is the most interesting drag um so do watch drag race that is absolutely fine but go out and support your local queens go out and support your local kings go out and see your non-binary alien freaks out in the nightclubs and give them your money because they deserve it they're the ones working hard and they're the ones that paved the way for the scene that allows things like drag race to be on television Um, thanks so much for joining us, JJ. We're going to have to let you go in a minute because we're, we're running out of time. Can I, I just what? want to ask a question. Uh, you've already answered it, really, but in like one succinct line, because we all know that drag is really important to queer people. What is the main reason it is? Is it because of identity? I think, actually, you worded it very well when you said drag is the ultimate fuck you to the cisgendered heteronormative 
prevalent society structures that we are all like smothered by the straight jacket that we all wear and drag is the ultimate like fuck you to all that and that is why it is so important to our community what do you think dan's drag name should be <laughs> i think we'd have to we'd have to get you in drag and you'd have to find it for yourself so if you'd like to come to one of my shows yeah. i do 1.2 billion shows every month here in london i run the <laughs> shay shay show i'm the founder of the bitten peach which is an uh queer asian cabaret and I also um, have an all Judy Garland tribute review called Good Judy, which is on October 4th at The Glory. There are flyers in my bra that I will hand out to you after. <laughs> Can I do the drag brunch? <laughs> Actually, I was doing brunch today, and part of it, what we do is we get people dragged up and show them being a drag queen is just all a state of mind. Oh my god, becoming. Yeah, yeah come. Do it, yeah, it's called I'm Strictly Come yeah. Drag Queen. She will do it. Yeah, why not? Okay, yeah, do come. Jessica was uh, Fred Flintstone's wife once. That was fun. Wilma, Wilma Flintstone. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was fun. Okay. I bumped okay. into somebody else. I was doing a pub crawl. I bumped into somebody else dressed as Wilma along the way. It was amazing. Mm. I don't know if that is drag, though, is it? No, I'm not saying it's drag, but I'm, it's halfway there, isn't it? But We'll anyway, do that. I'm so excited. Okay, <laughs> so it's 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 coming to the end of the show. So if any of you have seen us in Edinburgh or heard any of our Edinburgh Festival episodes, they're all on online now on Spotify and iTunes or wherever you get your podcast, Acast. <laughs> <laughs> You'll know we we've started this habit of like ending our shows with these like ridiculous games. Um, so we had Reese Nicholson on in Edinburgh, who's a gay Australian comedian. And we did a game of home and away or gay, um, <laughs> which, which went down a storm. When, uh, when Slipknot won number one on the album chart two weeks ago, we did a game of Slipknot or not. Is it Slipknot or is it not? So tonight, um, Dan was trialling out some ideas. Yeah. Um, what were your pitches again? Well, it's, it's a tough one. Um, the, the, the one I really wanted to do, but you vetoed, was Drag Queen or Michael Sheen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we were going to do Shay or Shay. Uh, is it something that Shay has said, or is it something that Shay Guevara has said? Um, There's a lot of overlap. But James doesn't know who Shay Guevara is. I don't. So, uh, <laughs> I don't. I don't know who that is. What we did decide on is a game called Drag Queen or Queen. Drag Queen or Queen. <laughs> yep. So um, we are going to give you some quotes, Shay, and you're going to tell us. Uh, did they come from a drag queen or from a queen? I have a very f similar game to this that's called Bananas in Pajamas or Bananarama. Right, Ooh. okay. Not exactly on theme, but if anyone would like to play that later, I have it in a document on my phone. Thanks so much. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we'll do that next year at the London Podcast Festival 2020. Yeah. Um, okay, first one. Look how orange you look, girl. Oh, that's a drag queen. It was um, Alyssa Edwards said that to Coco Montreal season five. Congrats. Right, well done. Oh my god, your knowledge. I know how I was like, oh, RuPaul's Drag Race, blah, 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 and I know the exact episode. <laughs> um, all right, next one. I can't wear beige because nobody would know who I am. I imagine that was the queen. Amazingly, it is the it's queen. It's the queen? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, she's so fabulous. I live by that quote. <laughs> I can't wear beige. I can't wear okay, beige. That's questionable. No um, round three. I mean, abolish the monarchy. That's all I'm saying. Okay, continue. <laughs> um, round three. Y'all are so cute and y'all talk so proper over here. I love England. Okay, that must be a drag queen, but I actually don't know which one. You're letting it side down. Are you sure? Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, wait. Oh my God. Is it the queen of like Namibia or something? <laughs> no, baby. It's Queen oh. B. Oh, come now. That is a tricky game you're playing there. 
All right, next one. Dad's left out. Drag queen or queen? There's blood on your face, you big disgrace. Okay, it's Queen, the band. It's from Bohemian Rhapsody. Yes, yeah! Queen. We will rock you. Um, and last Struggle. one. Um, uh, drag queen or queen? Come on my face. <laughs> you said that. And you're a queen. Oh, no. Is that a very specific quote? Is someone famous for saying, come on my face? <laughs> we all say that. I feel like you're trying Even to trick. Who not said, come on my face? Cheer <laughs> if you've said, come on my face. <laughs> I'm going to say it was a queen, but I don't know what one. Um, you're right. It is actually Queen Elizabeth II, believe it or not. And we actually have some very rare archive audio of that. No. Oh, yeah, no. It, it took a lot of digging, but we found it. Come on my face. Okay, great. Yes, yes. Face. Come on my face. Yes, I do. <laughs> I remember that. The Queen's Speech, 1994. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh-huh. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Happy Christmas. I don't know how long Do you want to stop it? I'm just going to keep shouting, come on my face. Okay. Shay Shay, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yay! And that's our show. Thanks for coming to see us at the London Podcast Festival. If you're new to our podcast, it comes out every Wednesday at 6 o'clock UK time. Our Radio 1 um, documentary from Gay to Non-Gay is out now on BBC Sounds. Buy our merch. Yeah. What else do we which, need to which promote? Which I didn't bring. Which I didn't bring. <laughs> <laughs> See me about merch. Thanks to our guest, Matty Todd, who was amazing. Yeah. And thanks to Shay Shay. And um, thanks to you, London. You're all yeah. amazing. Yeah. Have a good evening, guys. Yeah. Love is love. Come and see a gay and a non-gay live. Head to gaynongay.com for tickets.